Welcome to In Such Tlingui Katl. This is a podcast about poetic thinking where we share with you a different perspective of the social world. Every episode, we take a topic or a concept and we use the lens of philosophy, psychology, mythology, and literature to analyze the wonderful horrors of the modern world. My name is Andrea Martinez. My name is Andrea Celeste. And today we are going to talk about health and disease and how seemingly unrelated fields such as poetry and the economy can be understood in these terms. Health and disease have been the crucial themes of 2020, Year of the Rat. And so we will explore their meaning across four different areas, um, the physical, the psychological, the social, the, and the spiritual. Of course, we will inevitably talk about pandemic, but rather than focusing on statistics and medicine, we will look at how these areas affect one another and come to build deceased and or healthy societies. So we're just going to start with uh, basic definitions of what is meant by health and disease from the World Health Organization. I'm just going to talk a very little bit about the debate uh, surrounding these definitions. So originally, um, the we understood health as the absence of disease, but now, according to the World Health Organization, health is a state of complete physical, mental, and social well-being, and not merely absence of disease and infirmity. So even of course, the World Health Organization recognizes health as an encompassing different uh, aspects of, of human life, which do not only are, are not only restricted to the physical aspect, but also uh, psychological and social well-being. Um, so, so in this sense, what you're saying is that I can have a physical disease, but be healthy in many or, 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 um, or something... Yes, like I can have cancer, but be healthy. Psychologically in healthy. Or well, that depends, I guess, on the model of health that you are looking at. Um, more conservative models of health that I think are, you know, what we are more familiar with, uh, think that, you know, these three pillars are separate and that you can have a healthy mind, but a sick body. But then we have more... Um, recent models of health like the biopsychosocial model that say okay if one of these goes out of balance then the other two are also affected so it kind of depends on the perspective of course there's still very orthodox kind of views on health and medicine but uh there's also a large oh, by orthodox you mean western orthodox i guess right Yes, that's what I mean. But now within the West, of course, has, uh, uh, the West has learned a lot, um, you know, how, and, and have implemented a lot of Eastern alternative to not, not, not to maybe uh, an extent that is sufficient, but they have tried, we have tried to implement it in some aspects. There is this, there is this thing, um, well, in the Chinese tradition is uh, in the olden days, uh, you, would, you would pay, the relationship with your doctor would be uh, set in this way. You would pay him a fee constantly uh, until you got sick. And whenever you got sick and you had a disease, then you would stop paying him. Right. So you would, you would pay him so he would... Um, Prevent that, and that is sort of a way, a manner of understanding why most of what we call Chinese medicine is preventive medicine, which is if you keep certain habits and procure certain, well, this certain habits in your life, you will be healthy, and not so much as as having this uh, particular cure for. For something, this one thing that cures this one thing, right. that, there, that there is much more Western, you know, it's a more holistic and, approach. And also, yeah. I mean, we we always have this kind of documentaries or articles in the West about, you know, the uh, cities with the uh, with the what are called blue zones, right, in terms of longevity, with the oldest, the, the largest amount of all the oldest people. And one of these places is in Japan. I forget the name of the city but, or the name of the town. But uh, one of the things that uh, happens 
in that scientists have discovered in in this town is not only that people pay attention to their health obviously but how much they eat every day like the amount they eat what they eat how do they socialize with others uh, how much the community is important physical exercise so this is just yeah. again a representative of a more holistic approach to health yeah and and of, of an of an related to an ethos the greeks would even say because um it's this uh, i i've mentioned this before and i will mention this off again which is um the the approach of what is ethical is the well-being of the thing mm -hmm. so one must do whatever is so an, an ethical way of of action is to procure your health. Uh, um, one can stretch that for various ways that uh, conceptually, but it's, it's interesting that it, um, you can narrow it down to these uh, habits and this, uh, this just step-by-step -step thing, not one uh, grand gesture of of either of disease or of life do i don't know right. if i made myself clear yeah i think the best example that we have at the moment is uh, and we'll keep coming back to this today uh in this episode is the pandemic right like all of a sudden the best news that we've had is that two companies have come up with a vaccine that has 95 right success and all of a sudden everybody is like betting on this one cure Right. Yeah. And of course, there are like and the Chinese are secretly saying, no, guys, just <laughs> just follow these rules, these very specific rules forever. Well, actually, the, the Asian countries have been remarkably and also kind of in a scary way successful. It's scary for the rest of us, for the rest of us who keep having like thousands or, or the in the States, hundreds of thousands freedom. cases a day. Yeah, yeah. In comparison to how they've handled the pandemic in, in, in Asia, where like in some uh, countries it's gone down to zero, right? And one of the, some of the reasons that are, of course, very uh, entrenched culturally and historically, but... Um, First of all, is that they've been able to guarantee healthcare for everybody. So even though- Ethically, they're winning as well. Yeah, so like you said, the Chinese example of like paying the doctor before you get sick. Uh, Taiwan and uh, other, like China as well, have made sure that everybody has, like they've changed their system in a way that everybody now has healthcare. Something that of course the Americans refuse to do because why would you? Um, <laughs> But it's not only been that, there's been legal changes as well in, for example, Taiwan, who has been one of the most successful countries dealing with the pandemic. And also, uh, they made, in Taiwan specifically, they made uh, government officials equally powerful as healthcare officials, which is something that has not really happened uh, in the West, where you know, the, like the government still gets the final decision. And because the government wants to keep the economy afloat, sometimes the health, like, you know, the, the, the healthcare of, of, of the population, because, you know, everybody just- They can, they can not, they can choose not to listen to the science. That's right. been one of the many, the, the constant phrases we've heard this year of the rat. Yes, and Dr. Fauci. Yeah and, lot, and yeah, and Dr. Fauci saying, saying stuff like, yeah, he, he gets briefed every day or every other day of the things that, that, that we're doing in this right. pandemic. Um, so. And so I think that one of the big lessons that, I mean, of course, there's been also the, the, the liberal side of the state being, of course, extremely critical of China in terms of how they censored at the beginning, when the, when the virus st started spreading in China, one of the main uh, weapons against them is that, oh, they tried to cover it up. And because they tried to cover it up, it's like the, you know, the absolutist government of China sens like censoring free speech. Yeah, right. again, and what we don't see, and I'm not, I mean, it's an, we're not being apologetic to all the things that are wrong with the Chinese government, but 
uh, what we don't see is, yeah, but their tracking records were fantastic. I mean, the, the, the control, uh, uh, the way they control the, um, the crisis, the crisis control is actually the way to say it, uh, was, I mean, again, it's almost down to zero. Now, we said we weren't to talk about so much statistics and we sort of have, but um, jumping back to the, this also um, Chinese tradition of, of working towards the prevention of disease more than the curing of a disease, just preventing, um, preventing disease by, by staying healthy or whatever it is that, was, uh, that, that is understood by, by health that it has to do with. Uh, in this one world vision view, uh, just to be in balance and in harmony with the inside and the outside and, and the, the levels of temperature and all this, this whole thing from everything like and and the naturistic and more holistic um medicines that are still yeah a, a approach have this thing like if if uh what we need to cure is the fever you know that this is one concept because when because pathos which is again we've been talking about pathos in every episode and i think we're gonna keep talking about pathos because pathos which is the disease means this um inflammation just this being inflamed by this uh well this inflammation uh and well now moving a little bit more to the west but also in the in the in the world before you move the, to the west yeah. can i just say something about more there's one more thing about this gap that has been so clearly opened between the, the handling of, of the pandemic in the West versus nation countries. You mentioned data tracking, right? That has been a, yet another criticism against, yeah. against them. They're like, oh, they have, they own all their data and like our, our privacy, like don't touch our privacy. Um, it's and, like and, little believies, like Louis C.K. would say. <laughs> right. I have um, privacy as a little believie. Um, uh, Louis C.K., uh, who has become such a persona non grata, but who is still saying brilliant things wherever he can. Um, uh, but yeah, so one of the things that like is South Korea and other Asian countries have done so well is to be able to track um, to do contact tracing so quickly and also apparently mask availability tracing. So I don't know what's it been like in Mexico, but in Ireland, it's extremely difficult to get a hold of the N85 or N95 masks. Oh, yeah. The, the best ones, right? Like nobody, ha like we, we don't know where they exist. I sometimes see people wearing them, but like nobody knows. Like, I don't know where to buy them. Every time I look for them, they're out of stock. But in South Korea, apparently they have an app that like it just tells you where there's availability. Where they have it where they have them and this this kind of like kind of technological not only um capacity but also the efficiency of it like you know it really kind of counteracts the claim of please don't steal my data like in a way yeah, it's, in the end is that it's a tantrum I, I i i look at it sort of as a kind of tantrum the other day i was saying like one of the reasons I don't want to have TikTok is because I don't want the Chinese to have my data. And everyone looked at me and said like, yeah, but every like, Google has your data. Yeah, everyone has your data already. I mean, they, the Chinese already have my data. I mean, they don't need TikTok. They can buy from Google. Exactly. Must, yeah, whatever. So, but it's this, this, um, this little bubble we make, uh, and that bubble, it's... Uh, of this is mine. You no, cannot but, cross the boundary of what is mine and my property because and, it and belongs that, to that me. And that illusion also is an illusion of, of, of health. You know, to be able to do that, you know, and like, no, like, I have my privacy and that's it because otherwise the world ends. I mean, fine, if, if that's all you need to, to be okay with the world, then then that's the way you don't die and you're able to, to cope, but you're not really coping with reality. You know, you're, you're just living through your beliefs. And, and I, yeah, and I and think so other, oh, yeah. that, that coping with reality, I think it's been exactly the paradox of the pandemic, right? Where like, you're like, okay, if this is the way that you cope with reality, like with this tantrum and this kind of um, self-isolating bubble. The pandemic has, in a way, uh, brilliantly burst that bubble in a way that we can 
see in the numbers of cases how the, the, the consequences of our actions and how everything is connected in this more holistic, more, uh, you know, like, uh, there, there, there are systems who are and, and areas of life that are connected all to each other and that before you thought, you know, and, and people, of course, uh, the, like the anti-maskers and anti-vaxxers still think that, you know, nothing is connected and like, you know, they can go to the pub and whatever and do whatever and it's still fine. But like the pandemic has really, has truly revealed the level of interconnectivity in our world and how, how isolated we are not. My dad was an anti-vaxxer. I, I didn't, I wasn't, I didn't get my shots. At, Shout I out to Mr. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. Hey dad. So, <laughs> oh, but he's, he's, he's going to get this one. Like he's been, he's been talking how, how he's so getting this one. He's, he's getting vaccinated for this one, which right. in a way I, I'm, I'm glad, I'm glad this, this pandemic changed his mind. And I secretly, Actually, when I was in, in primary school, I would, I would forge my parents' signature. So I would be in the campaign for in the vaccine campaign. Right. I was like, I don't want to be a weirdo that, you know, that their parents don't. I wanted to be just so I would forge their signature. Like, yeah, give it, give it. Here. But it's the same as we were saying before, right? It's like, okay, this vaccine is going to, is going to cure it all. And this is the solution to everything where you're like, no, there's a lot of yeah, things. Yeah, no, 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 yeah. And, and returning to, to my moving to the West, yeah. uh, to, to this last, um, or well, not last, but it, to this, the, this ambivalent uh, mask the Greek have between being the cradle of the West, of Western thought, as well as having a lot of, of influence from Asian thought in, in the Middle East, from the Middle East and the Persian thought, to um, the farther east. So uh, Hippocrates, which is the proverbial doctor, the, arch the archetype, the ar archetypal. the archetypal doctor, uh, says, and I, I quote him, I quote the doctor, everyone has a physician inside him or her. We just have to help it in its work. The natural healing force within each uh, one of us is the greatest force in getting well. Our food should be our medicine. Our medicine should be our food. But to eat when you are sick is to feed your sickness. And I remember this is a, this, I, I can connect this with a, a, a saying in Spanish that says, in Spanish it's, de limpios y dragones están llenos los panteones. All right, so I'll just translate that to English yeah. very quickly. The super clean ones and the glutton, the cluttons, the cemeteries are filled with. Yeah. So, so this means that the, I remember growing up. My well, I I was raised by an by a pair of anti-vaxxers, naturalistic approach. I hated getting sick because the the thing that was punished was food. Well, not punished. And look, I, how, how traumatized I am. Not punished, but I mean, the thing that was like, yeah, but if you're sick, if you have a fever, you can't eat chocolate because you will only raise that fever because this, it, it's all related with this whole Hippocrates thing. And I remember saying like, what do you mean? Like, you know, you choose one fruit, you choose a fruit and you sleep a lot and you Live it out. <laughs> and, and this has been one of the main points of uh, not disagreement, but maybe of difference between yeah and I, because I was raised by my, my mother is a medical doctor of like an old school medical doctor that everything is, you know, it, that you focus on the disease and you medicate the shit out of it <laughs> out of it <laughs> even if it has to kill you <laughs> yeah and like i mean it's it's really uh you know those, those forms of thoughts that um both naturalist kind of you know like andrea's parents and my own uh they find no way to reconcile both extremes whereas i think they are actually you know they should both work together 
Yeah, yeah, uh, both are both are useful. You should get the vaccine when it comes out, but yes. also <laughs> you should not be well, yeah, you so should much. Give, medicine should be your food. In that sense, I think I do have to we do need to recognize that that is the tendency. The tendency is to link these two things together. And just to talk about this, um, this difference that you that we talked about in terms of our parents of my mother, who is like extremely, you know, a quote unquote, science driven, like in the in the Western sense of science and like um, in, in this, uh, in this mindset, whereas Andrea's parents are more holistic. Um, Max Weber talked about periods in 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 history. Yeah. Um, and, and I'm going to, we'll relate this back to, to the pathology of, of society, right? Which also has been, you know, discussed widely by, and, and not just in terms of health, but, uh, like Foucault would, will talk about in terms of, of medicine, but also in terms of the, what is the, what, what is the sickness of, of society? But Max Weber says that we enter cycles of, um, enchantment, re-enchantment and disenchantment. And those of mm-hmm. that, that are the, 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 the cycles of disenchantment are those um, characterized by um, secularization, systematic, bureaucratic um, modes. Or, the- or theocratization. I mean... Wait, and, and so, and so the, the re-enchantment ones are more towards... Um, Theocratic, theocratic, uh, more religious, more sometimes mystical, sometimes kind of like crazy cultish. Um, yeah, it's, what, it's the same thing in, in in history of art. You have this uh, this this same continuum that goes up and down, and the down, well, or the up, whatever you can change them. Well, the, no, the disenchantment, uh, the enchantment ones are the ones that are that tend to be religious, any kind of just religious right. driven. And and the other the other extreme is more scientific driven, and there I mean, poetic thinking as we have said in the last episodes will li- can link both of them, both. but it's because each side very... has its own malady, right? Yeah. And so uh, more recent its own radicalness. It's, yeah, and its own downside. And one of the things that uh, more recent Bavarian academics say is that we have entered an era where we have both and i can you can see very clearly this in 2020 enchantment with like you know kind of um you know the belief in in the cult of the of one person and um you know the anti-vaxxer movement the uh you know hyper religiosity in the states in some areas and also the hyper secularization of of different parts of the world more like really pushing science because it's it's a response to the other side and so it seems that now these two sides uh, again something that we've already mentioned in previous episodes um because they've become so polarized and are just responding to one another are actually exacerbating each other's pathologies in a way that yeah uh, there is no and bridge. happening now because that's that's this whole the, the tribalism we see or the manichaeism we see in all dimensions of or various dimensions of our society means this as as far left you go others go farther right that's the tug of war and uh in this sense before we leave um one of my favorite places ancient greece um I would like to uh, talk a little bit about the pre-Socratics, which are uh, at which are two things at one, at once. Um, the first scientists and the first poets, as <laughs> they come, we come from the same uh, root in 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 both here here and in China. This here, is there, and a, everywhere. Here, there, and everywhere. That's a saying in Spanish. We also we always say here and in China to say like right. this yes. happens because everywhere. China in to us yeah, in our America. culture is like the furthest, the furthest. Yeah, the furthest. It's like yeah, yeah it's here in China, whatever. So, so and here and in China, those the wise ones. I'm thinking of the Tlamaltini as well. Always remembering in Xochitlinquicatl, and so the the pre-Socratics. Uh, they they belong to a chapter of Paideia. This is this is a book. This is a book that if you're interested in Greek thought, you should visit. 
It's a book by uh, Werner uh, Jager, who's a um, 20th century philosopher, uh, studious of the Greeks, expert in the Greeks. And he has this book that goes from poets to politicians, the huge spectrum of, of Greek thought. And in one of these chapters, he speaks of one of the big deals that the Greek, the Greek thought did was the, the, um, the revealing of the cosmos. And the revealing of the cosmos comes, uh, has a direct relationship with logos, which is the word. So the, these first poets, we must think of them as they are wise because they know how to articulate a discourse. And part of this discourse, which is very poetically um, woven, is based, are basically precepts to how to live your life. So the wise ones are the ones that tell you stuff like, you know, uh, people, that, people that, that think rationally, as Heraclitus say, they don't, they don't wash their hands with mud. They wash their hands with water. And they, they're, some of them are very crypt, cryptic, like, and some of them are more um, open and, 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 re and relatable, but they all have to do with, with the mystery of, of how to initiate yourself in a good life, in a good life. And for, for the Greeks, a good life is a life of harmony, a harmonious life. That, and that also means healthy and that also means ethical. So, um, and well, that regardless of, um, I, mean, I mean, that regarding with the ancients in that and part of the world. In that sense that you talk about harmony, I think that that's been one of the, also just going back to this comparison between the East and the West. Um, so there's been a little bit, not a lot, but I'm sure there will be a lot more analysis of the um, Asian success with the pandemic. Um, and of course, uh, one of the people that has been interviewed that um, has been well-praised in academia, although I do have a few things that I'm going to disagree with him on. Oh, I know who. Is Byun Chul Han. Byun Chul Han had... Um, who is he? Who is he? He is a philosopher from South Korea that um, has been residing in Berlin for years. Um, and so he was interviewed um, recently by El País, by the, by the newspaper El País, asking him about this, the Asian success. And uh, he said something that uh, I, it was very similar to what Trump said, um, funnily enough. He said in, in, in the interview, the virus must not undermine our freedom. And who said it oh, best? Oh, right, he did. Uh, no, but I mean, but he means wait. in a more, okay, yeah, wait. I Trump said, um, don't let the virus control your yeah, life. Control, you. yeah. control your life, right? Um, and Byun Chul Han, of course, there are things, there's affirmations that he makes always that like everybody's like, oh, yeah, um, of course. Um, and he says that Asian communities have been more able to follow hygiene guidelines and safety regulations and all of these. And well, then he jumps and says that because they have done this, they have more freedom. But I think in that sense, Byun Chul Han has very well adapted uh, his, um, or, or not adapted, but like he's, he's very well put forward the Western uh, emphasis on freedom in order to get his point across. Um, I don't, th I think that more importantly is this idea that you mentioned about the Greeks, but also, also in relation to Asia, that the importance there is, uh, the, the, the emphasis is not placed on the individual or on freedom or on free speech or any of these values, but the emphasis is placed on harmony and the community. And so therefore, and also just one more point, um, the Japanese prime minister was uh, strongly criticized in the media because he said that the Japanese had actually excelled at handling the pandemic because basically they have better manners, right? They have like better, like, Socially, yeah, Japanese manners, like they have Japanese manners. <laughs> and, and basically, what that meant um, was that in 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 the in the like this is of course generalizing in a way that uh, you know it can be uh, a bit simplistic, but that uh, you're you're taking care of, your, of yourself 
involves taking care of the community. And if you're not taking yeah. care of the community, then you know, you're, you're not maintaining the order and you're not maintaining harmony. And so there yeah, and you're not you're not you, you you're not um life worthy actually. I mean in in, in in the most radical sense of that of that view because they will um they will extirp out the tumor, whatever it takes. And and the thing that has been, uh, you know, shocking to me to a certain extent is that when we had to start wearing masks, I don't know what happened in Mexico because I haven't been there for the pandemic, but when we had to start wearing masks only indoors in, in Ireland because we don't have to wear masks uh, in public because Ireland is not heavily populated. So it, you don't actually, you're, you're rarely standing in a crowd unless you're in the queue for the pub because you know, people yeah. still find a way to go to the pub because it's Ireland, um, is that people started very quickly to complain that they couldn't breathe with the masks and they find, found them very uncomfortable. And, you know, there were a lot of like, uh, you know, that I heard, heard from people that I um, interact with that they were like, oh, I can't breathe, I can't breathe. And I'm like, well, the Chinese and the Taiwanese and the South Koreans have been wearing them for months outside, Working. like, and, and they're fine. So why won't you be all right? And yeah. so this kind of like I, I, um, difference in behavior and in attitudes towards compl compliance, which you know, of course, has also its downsides, and, and we can see that, like, of, in very obvious ways, in in in, and what China is already criticized for, and I'm not going to repeat it here, but. Uh, one of the, the advantages that they've had is that because people are compliant and they are worried about the welfare or their, of their community, they actually obey and they're not, you know, finding ways of throwing illegal raves in the countryside like they do here, for example. Yeah, or here. Um, well, actually, I think this, this uh, reaction and this more Western reaction that holds freedom first or an, or an idea of freedom uh, has to do with how disease or, or the possibility of being deceased uh, is um, re related to being untouchable to, 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 to this um, and to be, and, and, and if you're sick, you must, you are untouchable and you must be in some sort of confinement. And uh, to that, uh, Foucault, in, for instance, in History of, of Madness, which is, he, he talks about more there, obviously, about mental health or mental disease. Um, but how, um, well, mental health patients have this uh, taboo around them uh, of, you know, keeping them in, inside in a very specific place. And this has to do with the fact that uh, when in medieval times the foley and the disabled and the sick were proning the streets, the streets of our um, first modern cities that are the medieval cities, uh, they started uh, to not be so so welcome uh, in terms of of being you know the, the roaming the streets. So um, in in this sense, what happens is that the the one of the biggest plagues that um, hits these times, uh, as, aside from the Black Plague, is also uh, leprosy. Mm -hmm. So we have a lot of we have these buildings that are made for the lepers, where you put the lepers inside because you mustn't be near a leper; they are the untouchables. And um, now leper is leprosy is sort of controlled, and now we have these buildings that are empty and useless. So for these beings that we could also call this, this um, borderline beings that are sort of in society but outside because they're, in, they're crazy, they're, they're the crazy ones, uh, we, and they, they, they are uncomfortable to society, they are sent there. They're sent there and that is how, um, well, the, the, that's, that's the origins of the psychiatric hospital. Uh, and as well as uh, the jail, as well as, as prisons. That's, right. he, that's, Foucault will later on uh, develop that, how also the criminal, because 
crimi the criminals and the deceased have this taboo of being untouchables, both of them, an ancient taboo that he who, um, who, uh, how do you say, who, who commits the transgression of, of, of the law, of taboo, becomes itself uh, deceased by the taboo. So right. if you kill your father, you are, you become untouchable. You become uh, this, uh, a symbolic disease, as well as if you are in, in, if you do have some other sort of actual specific disease, not just the symbolic disease of having committed a, what we consider a crime, which means a disease in society. That is why uh, in, in psychiatric, um, the psychiatric canon, which or corpus, being a criminal is part of being in the antisocial disorder. So it's it's it 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 remain they they a linkage remains between these two in in terms of this taboo. And also the fear, I think, uh, and I I think that we we haven't talked enough about fear in in our episodes, but I I think partly the the reason. To, to lock people in is I'm referring more to the psychiatric asylum is that those diseases are or those disorders mental disorders that you know often like if you look at the world health organization definitions of mental disorder and all of this is like you know behavior attitudes uh, that harm or uh, are dysfunctional in society and towards others or like you know it's a bit more complex than that, but like those are the main, the, the key words. It's not a disease. It's not a disease. It's a disorder, it's right? A disorder. It's, a, it's a disorder. Yeah. Um, but that there are aspects to those diseases or to the disorder. Sorry, my, my bad. Um, that are present in all of us, and that to witness them in front of us reminds us of of elements in ourselves that are not there, are like fully blown, you know, blossomed. And they never will for most of us. And that's why we are gallivanting the streets. But the, the seed, like we recognize, we're able to recognize, you know, uh, the, the paranoia of the paranoid schizoid. We're able to uh, recognize the, you know, the, the delirium of the schizophrenic in, to, a certain, to an extent that it worries me that I can cross that line and I can cross that, that line. Right. And yeah, and in that sense, I mean, when I was studying psychology, I remember I, my generation um, crossed the the, uh, the change in, in, in study plan. So a lot of the subjects were renamed. And for instance, one subject was called the, the pathological personality in the old plan. And in the new plan, it was called uh, the, um, the, the dis personality disorders. Mm -hmm. So this is also a way of, of, of you know not not marking the the disorder that it that can be perhaps uh, or we strive for that to work with with new experiences that are both in in the realm of environment as well as working with the psychiatric medicine in order to get get through this you won't die from this this won't kill you the the disorder uh, but it what what happens is it it impairs your your experience in life, uh, and that is why we 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 don't want to look at it as a disease, but it comes from this tradition of of once in 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 our history it was it came from this whole of this whole world where there was no difference. It's just, I mean, in our first attempts of building the mental hospital. Uh, what Foucault says is that in there, at the beginning, you have people with whole special needs, not not necessarily people who had leprosy or had any kind of you know particular disease, just anyone who was uncomfortable and who was remotely weird, queer, whatever, just put it there, put it all inside. And then we will specialize this uh, space and it will we will we will divide this space and we will have prison on one end and just the psychiatric hospital on the other no. and of course uh, i mean in this um just to also kind of land this mental disorders uh 
categorization of you know the the what what should go into an asylum like the yeah. paranoid schizoid schizophrenic uh, depressive bipolar narcissistic etc um all of this Anti-social. is most is 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 mostly rooted in western society uh part, uh, mainly or or if not primarily because of uh the emphasis in western uh, in, in in our society on autonomy and independence from very young ages and i think this is something that psychodynamic or object relations theorists um like melanie klein and others uh would uh would have said that um we do we we try to train our children our babies to be independent like for example let him cry it out or in a way that we wouldn't it would surprise us if kittens if, if cats did that to their kittens or if dogs did that to their puppies but in our minds it's so important to get our children to develop autonomy and independence that we've kind of lost that common sense to hold and you know like hold the child in a way that um is natural does that make sense am i making sense yeah i guess but i guess what i would say is that what you're describing is more of the the most radical way of 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 this let him cry it out that would uh stress the child instead of just saying like like we that's that's what could be in danger that this this search of autonomy uh that we strive for the child to in order if he cries it out or if he deals with the crisis he will own himself herself uh the yeah. worst experience of that is that the child finds him or herself hopeless and in this fear of the other and of him or herself yes and that's exactly then, what i was getting at you be, you kind of become uh, what would in in earlier uh, uh psychiatric terms would become pathological right so I'm, there yeah no no i mean it. it can happen in t- to both extremes uh you know if you of course if, if there is an over parenting or if there is not enough um mirroring of the child or not enough holding of the child where the child like you said feels hopeless or um isolated oh, in, in that sense like i have this great example i'm sorry that which no, is please. Um, in in Shakespeare, um, and this is interesting because today is Saint Edmund, and Edmund is one of Shakespeare's greatest villains. And well, what happens? It's uh, I'm talking about the tragedy of King Lear, and well, Lear deals with parenting in various levels, as as in as other various subjects. Um, but in one of the in the lines of the anecdote, there is this problem between two brothers. One brother that is a legitimate legitimate son and the other brother who's the bastard. And in reality, the father favors more the bastard, but he can't really say that in public. He can't really give him the whole favor because he's the bastard. But the bastard knows this, the bastard's Edmund. And Edmund uh, moves everything in his favor because the king has gone mad and in Shakespearean, the Shakespearean world, that means that you can do everything now because there is no head in this universe. Um, he, he, he manipulates the situation and tells Edgar, the brother, the legitimate one, that his father hates him and that his father and that his father fears that he, he thinks that he has, that Edgar has betrayed them and whatnot. And just the thought of Edgar has no idea this is happening. And the thought of Edgar acknowledging this is, he says, well, then none of my experience with my father has been real. Because for me, my father loves me. And for me, he's been with me. Then if this is not true, well, then I must not be Edgar. And if I must be something else before going, before being nothing. So I'd rather become Tom of Bedlam because that is better than being nothing. And who is or what is Tom of Bedlam? Tom of Bedlam is 
an uh, archetypical image of a, um, of a, of a lunatic in, in medieval society. Right. Bedlam was uh, one of these first asylums. So they will sometimes scattered, uh, go outside the asylum and you would find, you know, these tombs of Bedlam. So what's, what's interesting here in linking with the object relations or, and, and with the need of becoming someone is that if one doesn't have an, a good mirror, which is what Edgar sort of is saying here, like, well, then if what I think has not, cannot be mirrored in reality and my experience cannot be sustained by reality, then I am not what I think I am. And before, and before becoming nothing, because from nothing comes nothing, before becoming nothing, I'd rather be insane. Right. I'd rather become a Tom of Bedlam. And then, well, this, just to close this idea of autonomy as well, the dramatic arc of this character is very interesting because the, the resolution of the tragedy is linked to him becoming a subject and owning himself again and being able to, to own his name regardless of, of, of his father. And, well, he comes to term with his father, which is, which is one, what one must do if, even if your parent is alive or dead, if you go to, to, to therapy, that's what the therapist would tell you. You know, you have to come to terms with this. And that's kind of like the path of, uh, for both psychoanalysis and psychodynamic therapy, um, wh where you are, you know, kind of going back to, the, to those places that hurt from very early on. And... Um, Extrapolating from this psychodynamic, psychoanalytic um, relation between the individual and the parents, I think if you uh, have a society of, in, of individuals that their up upbringing was in a similar way, also you create a similar relationship between government and society where you have, and, and th there's plenty of examples, I'm sure we can think of the, the relationship between government as a parental or authority figure, because that's where our parents serve us primary types of like of authorities that we you establish a dysfunctional or a pathological relationship with government in the same way that we can establish a pathological or dysfunctional or both relationship with our parents and so that's we see why, that's why Kanye West wanted to be president <laughs> in okay. a way we could talk about various things about Kanye West but the thing is that what he thinks is that he he all of the things that he believes in are right and that he has the right way for the black people to understand how to empower themselves. And he has the way of, and he could uh, provide a figure of authority for everybody. These are the things that he believes in. And the reason why he was looking to be president is because if he managed to become president, then he would manage to prove himself right and healthy, cured. Because his past uh, albums have, 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 have surrounded themselves with the, with the themes of mental health and him himself being diagnosed first, he said, then he said it was wrong, but with bipolar disorder and how bipolar disorder had everything to do with his very passionate way of life, way of, looking at life which i wouldn't disagree i mean there's a lot of the the problem of western passion has everything to do with manichaeism with, right. with you either choose day or you choose light night and that the life of pablo cd or cd album has everything to do with this i i choose getting married or i choose the booty getting married or the booty getting married or the, or the booty and if america votes for me then this means that I am righteous and that I am okay and then and that everything is that I that I am fine. So I'm going to am, sorry, go on. Yeah. I, I have a I have a take on Kanye West that I I've only developed this morning. Okay. Um, so first of all, I'm going to shout out to Professor Harry Hunt, uh, who wrote the book Lives in Spirits. And he talks about, not about Kanye West, but about, um, I'm just going to try to very quickly summarize this, then to uh, try to explain Kanye West. It's, he says that people um, who he calls, or not who he calls, but like also 
Max Weber talked about innerworldly mysticism, which mean, means basically that you are like in a in a kind of like self-actualization, peak experience. Um, you know, in, in, in touch with the whole of life um, and that you are at the height of your creativity. And so uh, in this book, in Lives and Spirits, it, he talks about different figures historically. Um, Heidegger, of course, one of them. Um, Jerry Garcia, another one of them. Uh, Alistair Crowley. People who were intellectually, creatively, um, well, we could call secularly enlightened in, in terms of how um, creative, like you said, there are like, like Kanye, what Kanye West went through, like there's two paths uh, that are become exacerbated by this early psychodynamic stages that we all go through. And especially if in those stages there is trauma, that trauma is going to become not only more salient, but potentially dis destructive at the height of their creativity, where you're either going to go uh, completely narcissistic, which I think is the path that Kanye West mm. fell into, or yeah. uh, what uh, it's called broken humility, uh, where you go, go into the voidless, the, sorry, the void and the formless space of the kind of like the dark night of the soul, uh, what is referred to as an archetype of the soul that in, in Harry Hunt's book, he says, Jerry Garcia did. Right, so Jerry Garcia just kind of went into like Saint um, Augustine, into this kind. Well, for Jerry Garcia, it was heroin, and he just kind of like killed himself slowly. Um, whereas I think with Kanye West, you know, he 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 did reach a creative um, peak, and then it just kind of like yeah. And I would like to. He wasn't yeah. held enough. Yeah. And, and actually, I would like to also link this, what you said, like this, the whole object relations and the trauma and how this can um, obstruct your creativeness or your creative imagination. And, 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 and that let that be your downfall. I, I could also link that to Oedipus King. And Oedipus King is very important because uh, the play starts with uh, the chorus saying, you know, there is a plague in Thebes. And a plague means that a king is doing something terribly wrong. And, you know, this plague is, it doesn't kid around. I mean, you have black liquid coming out of, uh, instead of milk from the cows and women giving birth to dead children and all this, people dying in the street. And the thing is that I would like to link Oedipus to this sort of narcissistic path as well, because and what what he what he strives for is being right in a way he comes from having murdered his father he doesn't know this but he comes from having murdered a person in the road and he enters the kingdom of the king he has murdered and he says nothing about this not and and in the story he's not he doesn't know that he murdered the king of this peoples but he doesn't say you know what you can make me king even though i i even though i i resolved the enigma of the sphinx you can't make me king because i'm a murderer actually can you can you take me to trial i mean that's that's what a reasonable person would have said but no he 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 becomes king and allegedly you know he he gives he has this uh, he has this great popularity, and that's the reason why the, the, the play doesn't explain itself, the order doesn't explain itself, that having such a good king as Oedipus, they have a plague. And the, and the reason why is because he has kept silent this terrible thing he did and has just manipulated the world to be on top and just to... Uh, actually, I would like to give a shout out to our former um, companion of high school, David Gaitan. He has a version of Oedipus King, um, who is uh, a very good version of it. Um, it's called Oedipus, No One is an Atheist. That's mm -hmm. the, the name of the play. Because what, what it wants to, the problem of Oedipus is that he, he doesn't want to believe that there is something bigger than him. 
that can be a plague that that's just there's some things that you can't control with your will and and that's fun that's a funny parallel to today yeah actually so i think the great parallel there with now is that uh we are kind of oedipus oh yeah definitely because we we think that we it's like the triumph of the of the will right we have this under control and i feel like now we are so like self-congratulatory about like having two companies who you know came up with this vaccine and now everything's going to be okay and now where things are back under control when they're like that's just an illusion and a pathological illusion in fact yeah a pathological illusion because there is no one cure it shouldn't be this atomistic uh you know uh microscope uh this is the problem but it should be a more structural reflection yeah. which we obviously didn't do and we're not going to do that's that's the thing that's when that's what the greeks are are betting at where when for them in their in their symbolic order that's what plague means what plague means is a structural problem that uh goes from king to the most untouchable and least favorable member of society and we and we are all involved in this and it's not just one thing there's this very and just returning to edifice in um where there's a moment where the oracle tells them you know okay fine i'll tell you how you get rid of the plague you get rid of the plague when you find he who killed the last king which is edifice and uh, and this because and the the criminal is theban the criminal is one from thebes and edifice who was who was born in thebes but doesn't know he comes from there because he's the king that their his parents fear for fear of him so they they take him out of the rain they try to kill him but the 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 killer doesn't kill him so he he gets raised by other parents and then mysteriously ends up raining his town but not knowing he's theban so when the oracle says okay the criminal is a theban he says oh well first of all it's not me So even though they say that the king is the is the responsible for the plague, well, it's not me because you're saying that we need to find this killer, and I'm not the killer, and when in fact he is the killer, and that is the thing that we are not we are not recognizing. Like, what are the things that we must do? How how did we pass from it's only going to be four weeks to call 2020? Call 2020. Yeah, or, you know, yeah. <laughs> 2020. I mean, except, um, except from the first three months. And, and I, I mean, I, just to be a little bit, um, before, we, before we start closing the, this episode, just to be a bit more positive um, regarding the pandemic. And we've talked a lot about the ways in which we are deceased or disordered or pathological. Um, I do think that... The pandemic has opened spaces for, for, for plenty of us to find what, new ways of communicating, or not new ways, but new, new time and space, even though virtual, to communicate. And so I always find, I'm quite skeptical of this dichotomy of, you know, Charles Taylor talked about the, the, the malaise of modernity and he you know, had his three bullet, bullet points. And, and Byun Chul Han is also very condemning of, of modernity, of, of, of our society and of social media and all these things. And I don't think it's either we are deceased or we are healthy. I think, uh, like, I think you would agree with me, there are pathologies, there are disorders that we ail from um, and that we suffer. But that doesn't mean that we are deceased or that, you know, we will perish from this either lack of data privacy or anything like this. It's not that simple. It's, it's actually, you know, there are things that we can reflect on and learn from, but it's not a black and white um, diagnosis. Yeah, no. diagnosis. I mean, even though, even though there's part of this fantasy of Manichaeism where uh, we would want it to be black and white, there's, there's this 
sinister fantasy where we would want it to be black and white, but it's not. And what you were saying of how this, the pandemic has opened spaces of communication, I would add that this, space, that this uh, search for these spaces has to do with us wanted to be wanting to hold our health, uh, our our well-being in the best of our ways in these times of confinement. How, even though we are confined, how we how we don't want to fall into into the bad trip of being an untouchable, and what this means of not being able to to go and hug your loved one and whatnot. This these spaces are a way of of coping with reality, and in this sense. Um, well, one of the ways uh, of, um, you know, of mental health or what, it, or what mental health can mean is a person who has a cope of, on reality. If, if, if you are, if your feet are in, on the ground and coping with what you're dealt with, then you can be okay. You can, you can, you know, uh, steer your course and battle the battles you must and, and, and whatnot. And in that sense, um, and in the closing argument or <laughs> closing uh, corner of our um, episode, I would like to uh, invite to the table uh, a very polemic figure that can be, uh, that is either a genius or a nut job, you know, in, 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 in this world of black and white we live in, which is Wilhelm Reich. And um, well, he did, I, I won't go through, through his nut job phase. And he, he did a bunch of, of experiments with his cloud buster. He wanted to create rain and this kind of thing. And Kate Bush has this beautiful song cloud, called Cloud Busting uh, regarding the day the FBI came in and took everything from him and, and, and took him to jail and interrogation. And he was a very, um, uncomfortable figure for the first half of the 20th century and uh, around macartism and whatnot. He was part of that witch hunt. Uh, and well, he has this very radical approach to um, the relationship between mental health and sexuality, for instance. So he, if psychoanalytic thought had already made this very important bridge between uh, your sexuality and how you, you live this sexuality and how this affects your other other parts of your life he will be even more radical that way but also uh, what he um talks about in his book analysis of character of character is that in the and what he fears the most and it's a it's a very interesting thought that's why i wanted to to bring it forth he says that what he fears the most is what he calls the emotional plague. And he says, in the future, we will be plagued not by physical, biological disease, but by uh, what the tendency of most of society will be is not being able to cope with our beliefs and how they might not be, might not have an actual, these beliefs might not have an actual grasp on reality and how that can be very damaging for the others. So he kind of even, um, yeah, very it, prophetic. Yeah, very prophetic, but yeah. he, he kind of... But Wilhelm Reich, sorry, just to interrupt yeah. very quickly, was all, it's also one of these figures that, you know, was very attuned to like, you know, in, in an almost in a spiritual sense, very brilliant, very, and then, like you said, he, he reached this point and then he just kind yeah, of went, like, went, went a bit like crazy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, but what he says, just to close with the idea of the emotional play and, and what, um, he doesn't say it this way, but he kind of in, invites this image to, to our heads where instead of well we have we'll have this kind of zombified society where you will be in danger physical danger outside because people with the emotional play can come and you know kill you <laughs> and just hit you and, and and kill you and what the emotional play is is this is it's just 
if you're not with me, you're against me, basically, that we've been talking about this in right. a way for the last... Uh, and we will continue to talk about All our episodes. Yeah. Uh, and he really fears this. He says, that is the worst thing, because then what, what you think, who you, who you think is deceased, it's the other. And who you think you must an, uh, annihilate and extirp, or to use a more medical term, is the other. So um, yeah, that 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 emotional play uh, is a it's a concept to 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 think fun these, these and times. to be and to be cautious of. Yes. Yeah. Do not be do not be a cautionary tale of the pathologies of of the emotional pathologies of our times, basically. Yeah. Um, and on that note, I guess what. Um, what the assignment for all of us would be is to think about how we are responsible for our own plagues that we, that we create for ourselves and how these are related to the plague outside. The one that we're living now, but the ones to come or, you know, whatever it is that comes to us. Right. And um, thank you for listening. Yeah. We are in such Tilinquicatl. My name is Andrea Martinez. My name is Andrea Celeste. And hopefully you'll listen to us in the next episode. Thank you.